Chuck Lebo has served as the CEO and chief strategist at Interact for over 17 years. His journey in business and as an entrepreneur began during his time in the U.S. Army Signal Corps. Chuck and his team dive deep into the intricacies of each challenge, turning them from roadblocks into pathways. They specialize in enhancing digital presence, refining operational procedures, and delivering strategic insights that produce tangible, positive outcomes. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Start off 2024 with a new Navy Federal credit card that has an average APR 6% lower than the industry average. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. I were talking with Army veteran Chuck Lebo, uh, CEO of Interact. Chuck, welcome to the show. Uh, got a lot of good things to talk about. Take us back and tell us what you did in the Army. Well, thanks for having me here, first of all. So my, my military experience was, was I, I think, it was interesting, right? So when I, when I went into the recruiting station, like a lot of us did, right, they, I took my ASVAB test and they said, oh, you can be whatever you want to be, right? The Army, that was their slogan. <laughs> and I said, well, when it's uh, – when it's wet, I want to be dry. When it's cold, I want to be warm. And they said, well, you need to go into communications, right? And I said, <laughs> okay, great. So I joined the Signal Corps. Now, the great thing about that is that this was back in 1982, and that's right when divestiture with the phone companies were happening. So they were breaking up the bell systems. So I knew that after I did my three-year stint that I would have a job. So I, I, I love the military. I excelled there. I you know, I got E5 rank, uh, I think at 26 months as I got the acting jack, and then it 30 months that I got, you know, paid for E5. So, uh, so it was, it was great. And like I said, it taught me the skill that advanced my career going forward from there. Yeah. And all along you knew you're only going to do your first enlistment and then get out. So were you planning or thinking about uh, your transition out of the army the whole time? What was that like? So, no. So really, you know, I came from a military family that all retired and it was, it was just one of those things where I, didn't know if I wanted to be in the military the whole time. So I wanted to make sure that I, that the job I took in the military would transition to the civilian world, right? There, there's not a lot of jobs out there for tank drivers, right? So I knew that that's plus I'm six, two, a big guy wouldn't fit in the tank anyway, but I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to learn something. And uh, so, but I could have stayed in the military. Uh, yeah. I just I, I landed a job with phone company. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your transition. It sounds like right out of the gate, getting out, you landed a good job and just stayed in it for a couple of decades. Yeah. So what happened was, is uh, during my last three months of, of uh, being in the military, I started applying for jobs and I applied for a job at ITT WorldCom. Uh, they were really good about hiring military people. So yeah, I actually had the job. I took, I took, uh, uh, what was it called back there? Uh, permanent leave or whatever. Uh, yeah, terminal leave. Your yeah. Yeah. So you're yeah. still in the military for 30 days. Uh, so, so I did that, uh, and started the job at, at ITT WorldCom. One day I'm in the military, the next day I'm there working. Yeah. We, we ended up doing very similar things in what you were doing in the army. Pretty familiar. Was it a whole new world for you? No, uh, actually, it was, it was kind of funny because uh, the reason they hired me, because in the military, even back in 1982, 
uh, I was, uh, my MOS was 31 mic, which was multi-channel communications. And then we did tropospheric scattering radio, which didn't have satellite communications back the, back yet uh, as an MOS. And so everything was digital. When I went to work for ITT, that's why they hired me because all the switches were analog switches and they were converting to digital switches. So I had the experience on digital. I knew what pulse code, pulse code modulation was. I knew what a T1 was. So I was highly advanced. That's why they gave me the job, but it had nothing to do with what I did in the military. In the military, I was in a van in the middle of nowhere with a big tropospheric dish. Uh, here I was working in a, uh, uh, an office where I was monitoring GSA circuits and adjusting, you know, levels and frequencies to, uh, to make sure they could talk. Yeah. Interesting. So, but some of the same skills. And you, and you stayed in, you stayed in that, uh, in that domain for 20 plus years, right? Yeah. 20 years. So I worked, I worked my way up. Right. So first I started as an engineer, uh, and then worked into, uh, more on the business side and got into executive management, uh, the last eight or 10 years I was vice president, uh, was in charge of profitability management, carrier contracts, things of that nature. So I was kind of out of the technical side, the troubleshooting side. And my, my specialty was really profitability, making sure that, that, that things were running the most, the most efficient way, uh, uh so that they could make more money on, on the, the revenue that was coming. So ultimately all this experience, where did the, the entrepreneurship thing come from? So I've always been an entrepreneur, right? Um, when I was a kid, right? So when I was, uh, I was, they said, look back at your earliest beginnings to see if you're truly an entrepreneur, right? So when I was a kid in fifth grade, I'd walk to school and I'm not going to say 10 miles uphill in the snow, right? <laughs> Both ways. I had to walk to school, but there was a, there was a grocery store on the way. And I would stop there and I think it was 75 cents for lunch that, that I had. And I would buy 75 cents worth of candy. And then when I would go to school, I'd get there early and I'd sell all that candy and I'd make back the money for lunch. Plus I'd make about three or $4, right? So that's kind of when I knew I was an entrepreneur, but really <laughs> what I, what I, what I realized is I'm a problem solver and that's what I've done my entire life is solve problems in the military in telecom or whatever. And really what the, 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 the defining moment was in 2001, I was sitting in my office and I looked around and it was just tons and tons of boxes and contracts. And, you know, it was, and it was the same thing that I had been doing forever. And I was working 12, 14, sometimes 16 hours a day, failed marriage, kids not seeing me. And I said, this, I've got to do something different. So that's when I decided I was going to start my own company, but I was going to do the same thing that I did in telecom at the time, which was I was going to help large organizations, Fortune 1000 companies and government agents get their uh, their tele their expenses in order as it relates to telecom, and that's kind of what how it all started my 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 entrepreneurial thing. But 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 I did it a little bit different. Well. I'd get a contract, I'd work on the contract, and, and you know when you're a consultant, it's feast or famine. So when it became famine, yeah. I would seek out kind of like a more long-term consulting job uh, to where I'd work for someone and draw a paycheck while I was working, building this up, right? So right. kind of toe in, toe out, toe in, toe out for about five years until I went full-time in 2006. 2006, 
uh, haven't worked for a, a, another company. It's just been just been my company. We made it to 2024. Hard to believe I've been a Navy Federal member since 1990. You know, service isn't just what Navy Federal Credit Union does. It's who they are. That's why Navy Federal created tools to help you earn and save more. Make your financial goals a reality with great rates and low fees. Members can enjoy earnings and savings of $473 per year by banking with us. An average credit card APR that is 6% lower than industry average. A market-leading regular savings rate nearly two times the industry average. Navy Federal Credit Union likes to reward their members for using their cards. And you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases with the Cash Rewards Card when you sign up for direct deposit. When you use Navy Federal mobile app, you can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. Low intro APR offers. Learn more at NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. At Navy Federal, our members of the mission. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. Membership required. Open to the armed forces of DOD veterans and their families. Messages and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Okay, sponsor time. Instead of reading a script about Gusto's payroll and benefits, we want to tell you what small business owners say. The people use Gusto every day. Here's one now. With Gusto, I think of payroll as a 30-second job. The website is so friendly and a joy to use. Friendly payroll? You don't hear that every day. Amy from Utah says, I love Gusto so much. They do our medical, dental, vision, and life insurance. It's so painless. It's like going to the spa. And we have great options and rates, even though we're a super small team. Health insurance? Like going to the spa? Wow. And here's what Amnit says about Gusto's support team. Whenever something comes up, I reach out and literally 24 hours later, they tell us what to do or assure us that they've already handled it for us. Smart technology and friendly humans? That's cool. Honestly, the list goes on. And right now, our listeners get three months free when they go to gusto.com slash veteran. Yep, three months of payroll, benefits, admin, and more totally free. Again, that's gusto.com slash veteran. This podcast is sponsored by MD Hearing. Just before the holidays, I gave a good friend of ours a pair of the new MD hearing aids. Let me tell you, it made the holidays much more enjoyable for everyone, especially her. She didn't have to say what all the time, and we didn't have to repeat ourselves over and over. It's 2024. Are you still paying thousands of dollars for hearing aids that don't even work right? MD hearing is an FDA-registered rechargeable hearing aid that costs a fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. MD hearing's brand new XS model costs over 90% less than clinic hearing aids. And the XS is MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever. It fits inside your ear, and no one will even know it's there. MD Hearing was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many of his patients needed hearing aids but couldn't afford them. He made his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that anyone could afford. So if you want MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever, go to shopmdhearing.com and use promo code VETERAN to get their new $397 when you buy a pair offer. That's shopmdhearing.com and use our promo code VETERAN and get their new $397 when you buy a pair offer. All right, back talking with Army veteran Chuck Lebo, CEO of Interact. So, Chuck, uh, before the break, we're talking about leading up to going out on your own. So talk about some of those beginning steps. I had to chuckle inside a little bit when you said I was working way too much and I wasn't around, failed marriage, not seeing my kids. I wanted to go be an entrepreneur so I could spend more time at home. <laughs> but um, at least you're yeah. in control of your schedule. Um, you know, people say that, well, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you can work, you know, 80 hours a week for what you used to get paid 40 hours a week for, but talk a little bit about yeah. that transition into the entrepreneurial game. Um, how you, how you started the company, uh, where you saw the demand, um, you, you talked about initially being a consultant and feast or famine. 
uh, some of those beginning stages and uh, beginning hurdles that you had to deal with? Well, so one of the nice things was is, is being in the, the industry that I was in telecom, I made a lot of contacts, right? So I knew I knew a lot of executives with all of the big players, right? I knew a lot of the, the big customers, right? Uh, and I also knew where a lot of the skeletons in the closet were, right? So right out of the gate, one of the initial contracts I took was for a state government that uh, felt that they had been well, they, they felt they were overpaying for their telecom services and thought that maybe they had been overbilled, like errantly billed for some third, certain things. So we took on, the, that was our first project. We took that project on, uh, it took two years. We analyzed three years worth of telecom invoices, all of their contracts. Uh, we found that they had been overbilled by $5 million. And we found that, and we renegotiated their contracts that saved them about $3 million a year. Right. So that was right out of the gate. Now, here's the problem with that. Remember, I talked about how we were toe in, toe out. Uh, that took two years and we were paid on a contingency basis. We got a percentage of what our recovery was. Yeah. So when I went to that state government, I didn't say, hey, I'm going to charge you to do this. I said, I'm only going to charge you if I find something wrong. And they were like, OK, we'll give you a percentage of it. And I said, OK, great. So it took two years. So I didn't make any money. So you go and you get your little gig, work six months, eight months, 10 months on something else while you're doing that at night. So there was, you know, like you say, you know, I did work a lot more hours in the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then, then from there, it's kind of like, you know, the, the deals started, started coming in when you do a, a state agency, I mean, every department, all the colleges, all of the, Department of Public Safety, all of, I mean, every organization with that state, we analyzed and went through their bills for them. And then that kind of opened up the door. We had a business case that we could throw out there. We did this for this state. We can do it for you. So now we're landing, you know, large organizations like Pilgrim's Pride Chicken. Of course, they're out of business now years ago and uh, helicopter manufacturers and, you know, things like that. So it was really cool. We're lucky. Yeah. I, I call it luck. A lot of a lot of digging into uh, financial records and stuff. That's uh, um, was that a lot of manual labor involved in that, or was it a lot a lot of it electronic? Well, so that state government was hard because all of their bills were paper. Uh, so I went out at the time. This this thing did two hundred. It scanned with with optical recognition two hundred pages a minute, front and back. So it was like $14,000. <laughs> so this is back when I just started out. But anyway, so that helped a lot, right, to be able to, to – but nowadays it's all – everything's electronic, right? You know, yeah. the, the, when I couldn't do it because our last one that we did was 15 million records, data records that we just had to look at for a company uh, to find out if they were being overcharged on their data usage on their uh, their SIM cards. Right. So 15 million records we looked at, found a 900, found $900,000 in overbilling that they got back. Yeah. Right. But a lot of work. Wow. And so this was early on, you, you, you found a need, uh, you were gainfully employed, but money was slow to come in because it, it takes a long time to sort through such a monumental project. Yep. Yeah. 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 So. So after, you know, like I said, doing that and really working on the big companies, you know, uh, when 2006 kind of hit is when I decided, hey, I'm going to go 100% full-time into this, but I need to I need to focus on 
other things, right? So what had happened was what I was doing started becoming mainstream. A lot of people started doing it. Uh, and I always said, if you can buy it at Walmart, you probably don't want to be in that business, right? And not that they were selling what I did at Walmart, but it was becoming that mainstream. Yeah. Uh, so I said, I need to find something new. And what's the, what's the new thing in 2006 that I can do? And that's when digital marketing was really starting to take off. People were getting cell phones, you know, cell phone in everyone's hand in 2006. Social media was taking off. I mean, everyone was, was Tom's friend on MySpace. You didn't have Facebook yet. Google was starting to take, but you had Yahoo. So you had search engine optimization happening yeah. and then public relations. And I decided, okay, this is what I want to do is I want to start a PR firm. So I did that, but I kept Interact as the consulting side of it, uh, but really was only taking on one or two new clients. It wasn't like I was putting all my time. But now if we fast forward, so it's 2006 and everything's going great, building up the PR firm. Uh, I had to actually downsize it because it got too big and I didn't want it. I, at the one point I had 286 people working for me. I was like, I don't want a company this big. I don't, that's a headache. Um, and so then let's fast forward to COVID. And in COVID, what happened was all these businesses had to shut down, right? And they didn't, they were very uncertain of what was going to happen. So 90% of my PR customers went away. They were like, I, this is an added expense I don't really need. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, this is the death of me, right? This is my company's going, right? Yeah. And I always, I tell people, you know, God's good, right? And at the same time, these companies were closing down they were having problems that need to be solved. Okay. So how do I, my website isn't mobile friendly. My website doesn't do e-commerce. I can't sell anything or collect credit cards on my website because I've got a brick and mortar, but I can't sell out of my brick and mortar because they closed me or you're an insurance company. And now all of your people, they can't come into the office. How do I set up a remote workplace? How do I set it up to where they can work from home, still have secure internet access to our files? through VPN or whatever. And how do I do this, Chuck? Yeah. Right. So, so as the PR companies uh, or the PR clients fell off, the interact, the interact customers started growing with problems. And then since then, now it's become a good balance between the two, right? I've learned that you have to have one plus the other because it, it, when, when things are going good, people want that PR, that social media, that, that uh, digital marketing, but then when problems arise, they want the interact, the, the problem solving type company. So that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah. You know, having done, um, you know, like you're like interview number 518 over the last nine plus years, um, there's a common theme. You see a lot of, there's like two types of businesses or two types of entrepreneurs. One, an entrepreneur sees a problem and goes after it to solve it. And he knows that they're going to make money at it because there's, there's a problem there and they know people are willing to pay for it. And then there's the other where they try to invent, you know, the, the, the new, the brand new widget that's never been heard of before and then right. try to create demand for it because it's so unique and see if it works. And on yeah. a rare occasion, something like that actually works. Like I'm going to invent the new iPhone, yeah. right? Yeah. Fill the brains, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you see like, they will come. you seem to have, um, 
mo- most of what you've done, or at least the part you're, part you're talking about, you seem to have a pretty good knack for knowing where the problems lie and where there are problems, there is opportunity. Can you talk a little bit That's about right. that versus, and I'm sure you've done a lot of, you've done a lot of consulting and helping other business owners and companies over the years. You probably see companies that are you know, putting their efforts in the wrong area because they really want to try to make something work. And they're like, well, she's go do this instead. Cause you can make a lot of money at that. Matter of fact, I, yeah. I actually heard it so, said the other day, making money, making money is, can be really boring. Um, if you do certain things over repeatedly, you can make a lot of money doing certain things. But the, the problem is with a lot of entrepreneurs, we get bored with the boring stuff. And so we try to go find some new fancy thing and end up losing money at it. Yeah. My wife laughs at me all the time because I'm always, you know, coming up with this or doing this and I've got, you know, multiple companies and, (laughs) and, you know, but so let me give you an example of of a client that we just recently helped out. Right. Okay. And it's, it's a thing that we see all the time, which is I need more revenue. So I get a call and she, she owned a, she owns a company that does back office support for roofing companies. That's her niche, right? Niche or niche, niche whatever you want yeah, to call it. Okay. And that's all she does. And she's like, Chuck, I've, I've, I've been at $14,000 a month in revenue for almost a year. And I can't seem to get past that. And I said, okay, let's take a look at your company. Right. And so we went in there and first thing we, we so she was positioning herself as a virtual assistant company. And I said, that automatically devalues you. Right. So we're going to, we're going to rebrand you as a business process outsourcing company. And then to make sure that you are a business process outsourcing company, we're going to put processes in place. We're going to develop SOPs for how you run your business and how you run the businesses of the roofers that you're doing work for. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to get you certified. All of your employees, we're going to get them certified in the softwares that roofers use. So now you can purport yourself as being an expert on all of these CRMs or these tools. Uh, the next thing we're going to do is because they were out, they were uh, offshore, primarily uh, in Argentina and Venezuela, uh, and, and they spoke very good English. That's where right? she was there. That's where she was in 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 uh, Miami, but her company, all of her employees were in Argentina and Venezuela. Okay, they were all Spanish speaking, right. and that's where she was originally from. Right. Um, so one of the problems was that they, they spoke English very well with minimal accent, but their writing was poor, their grammar was poor. So then we came in and we trained uh, an AI. Right. We, we took a, a what's called a G. Well, you know, everyone knows Chat GPT. Yeah. GPT stands for generative uh, pre-trained transformer. So you've got to train a transformer on your business. So we trained a transformer on their business, on the roofing industry and taught them how to prompt it properly so that now all of their communications with clients or clients, customers like the homeowner that they have to send emails to, that everything uses perfect English right? And that it's very polished. Uh, all their social media is good and stuff like that. So anyway, in eight months, they went from $14,000 a month in revenue to $140,000 a month revenue just from these changes. Wow. And was that as a result of getting more clients or getting more well, yeah, revenue? Yeah, there was more the clients. Co- so, okay. so, well, and also raising the rate, right? So now they're, yeah. they're, they're a step above being a VA, right? A virtual assistant. 
Uh, so they, they commanded more. So their average client, instead of charging them $2,000 a month, now we're going after $10,000 a month clients. Okay. So, yeah. so the whole sales process, the marketing process, all of that was changed to where when we went out there and started, you know, marketing them or advertising them that now they were a much higher level service, which they were, it wasn't just in name only. We got them certified. We trained them. We, we made them a better company, uh, but now they could command a higher price. Nice. Wow. 10 X your revenue in a short amount of time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome success story. So I noticed, uh, one, one of the topics that you have here is, uh, how everything I have in life, I owe to my, uh, stint in the army. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so listen, I'm a I'm a kid. Yeah, I was good in sports. I wasn't I wasn't going to go to college. I mean, I was, I was smart enough to go to college, but my mom, that was single mom, waitress. She didn't have the money to send me to college. So I fell back on what everyone else in my family had done. I was a single child, by the way. But all of my family members they went in the military, so I went in the military. And if I hadn't have if I hadn't have joined the military in the Signal Corps and learned telecom, I wouldn't have got my job with ITT WorldCom. I wouldn't have progressed through my career the way that I did. And, you know, I always go back to, so I had a platoon sergeant, Sergeant Winland, and what he focused on was solving problems. He, and every problem has a solution. And the problem is not always the problem that you think it is. Just because the light, the power light's not on, doesn't mean the power's not on. Maybe the bulbs burn out. Critical thinking, right? So he taught critical thinking to us. And so all of that combined, that, that stint in the military, learning the discipline, learning uh, you know, a, a technical skill, right? Uh, and then also soft skills like critical thinking, strategic thinking, all transferred to working for the phone company, which all led to where I am now. So if I went into the military, I'd probably, my other job opportunity was a company called Hackney's uh, being a drill press operator, right? They were going to pay me more than the military did, but I'd have been, I'd been working in a manufacturing plant someplace. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier you said, uh, this always fascinates me, this study of what people's, people think their problems are, especially in business. You said oftentimes you ask a business owner what their problem is and really what they're doing is they're, they're giving you a symptom or they might be giving you a problem, but you got to peel that onion back and dig down in and actually find out what the true cause of the problem is. Do, do you have any, uh, any examples, case studies come to mind? Um, I love real case studies, just like the, the roofing uh, company back office example is an awesome uh, case study. You have any great examples, you, you know, generally or specifically about when you're dealing with business owners and they, you say, what is my problem? What's, what's your problem? And they're like, Oh, it's because of this and this. And then you dig back in there and you find out what the real cause of everything is. Well, so there was this, uh, I, I kind of alluded a little bit to it earlier. So there was a, a company that manufactured, uh, uh, low jack chips that they put in fleet vehicles and and they have a SIM card in them. And that SIM card transmits data on a regular basis to say where the vehicle is or when it's called, it'll, it'll say, here's my, here's my location. And so when they came in, they didn't know what the problem was. 
They thought that they had a technical flaw. They thought that they, they didn't know. They just said, our costs are way too much, right? Now, at least they didn't come to me and say, we need more revenue. They, yeah. they at least knew that they had a cost problem. Okay. And that's when we went into what's your biggest expense, blah, blah, blah. And it got down to the data. We analyzed 15 million records, found out that, that there was a flaw in the AT&T system where it wasn't showing that the, the data stream was turned off, right? Um, and so they're being overcharged for the data packets uh, and got them that $900,000 back. 90% of the time, companies always come and say, we just need more revenue, can you help, right? right? And, and I tell them, we have to look at all this so that they want me to work with their sales team. And I said, listen, I need to look at other things. Why do you, why do you need to look at that? Why do you need to see where I'm spending my money? And I, I come back to them and say, because I could put you out of business. If I double your revenue, or, or whatever, it could put you out of business if you're selling a loss. Yeah, we don't know. Do you have a revenue problem or you got a spending problem? Right. Let's take a look at your expenses. Let's take a look at your processes because if you're only running a thirty percent gross margin in your business by me cutting a hundred thousand dollars off your bottom line expenses, that's a lot more impactful than me bringing a million dollars revenue. And in some ways, a well, lot or, easier. Or <laughs> You, you fix it, the it leak. In, fix that leak yeah. in the bucket, yeah, you, you know. So, yeah, so, like the LoJack example, there was a legitimate cost problem, but it, it it wasn't necessarily their fault. They just didn't know where it was coming from, and you actually fixed a problem. They were basically being overbilled for data, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They didn't. It wasn't their their problem. They were legitimately being overbilled. Now, if if it was an inch, it could have went the other way. It could have been. You're not, seri- you're not sending the signal on the SS7 message on the data stream. You're not sending the signal to tell it to disconnect. And if that was the problem, then at least we would have identified it and they could have went in and, and fixed their code. So either way, we were going to fix the problem. This one just ended up being on their side where we were able to get them 900 grand back. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of thing's fascinating. So, um, well, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time, Chuck. Uh, how do we find out more about Interact and where do we find, find you guys at? And if somebody's interested in getting a hold of you. Well, so the easiest way is you go to askinteract.com. So A-S-K-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T.com. On there, it's got our phone number. It's got our Facebook. It's got our LinkedIn. It's got a contact form. Uh, it's got a, our calendar for setting up a meeting, right? So everything's kind of there on Ask Interact. Uh, and, uh, uh, but other than that, you can search for us, for us on Google, you know, interact, uh, actually it's under interact business solutions group. Uh, this is where you find us on Google. And, uh, one last thing, if you're talking to somebody that's in the military, looking to get out and want to start their own business, get into entrepreneurship, what kind of advice comes to mind? So my best advice would be is whatever business you're going to get into, make sure you have at least, a a little bit of, of knowledge in that business. Right. So, and it's okay to, it's okay to go get a job when you get out of the military. I, I listen, I'm big in the veteran community here in Rockwall, Texas, Rockwall County is one of the largest per capita of military in the country. A uh, small, very small County, hundred thousand people, over 6,000 of us are veterans. And a lot of them are business owners. A lot of the mayor's uh, ex Marine, right. was, I, I, I sent him crayons for his birthday, but anyway, we won't talk about that. <laughs> hey, they have a, a Marine invented uh, edible crowns. You can get them on Amazon. 
That's funny. That's funny. So anyway, know what you're going to get into, right? And make sure that you're passionate about it, right? So there's something that you want to do. Don't just do it because you have to do it, right? And it does, like me, you know, mine was related. When I first started, it was related to my MOS. But it doesn't have to be, right? You've got skills that you learned. Find how they are transferable into the civilian life and capitalize on that. And this is a good time to be a veteran, right? Yeah. That, that people are, you know, they're welcoming you with open arms, get involved in the veteran communities, right? And it's my little tag, get involved yeah. with, your, with other local veteran communities and such. And uh, just, just listen, use your skills that you learn. You, you, you know how to put up with a bunch of crap, right? You know how to be abused. Welcome to entrepreneurship. <laughs> That's great. Put up with a bunch of crap and be abused. Welcome to entrepreneurship. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's a absolutely. wonderful life. <laughs> All right, Chuck. Well, thanks for uh, sharing your story and your entrepreneurial success story and uh, look forward to seeing your future success. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>